Today's scripture comes from Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners, to repentance. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. What is the most lavish feast you've ever been to? Well, during COVID, while I'm not, when I'm not eating my feelings, I've been researching famous people who eat much better than me. So two years ago, an American woman married some guy named Prince Harry. You probably guessed that this is Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. I know, I know, I know they've stepped back from being royals and it's all fascinating um, ancient tradition meets modern day stuff. But hey, they still had a royal wedding. The food itself at the reception plus wardrobe and honeymoon came out to $2.8 million. And not just that, the whole wedding itself, the one event was $45.8 million just for one event. So like whose wedding gets put on TV for the whole world to see? Well, ones like these. In fact, the BBC and other British TV stations um, had a week-long, non-stop, uninterrupted coverage of this royal wedding. So now, have you ever wondered this? Who gets invited to such things? It's not you or me. I mean, if you were, please, please tell us about it. And you want to guess who's on the guest list? I'm going to rattle off a couple of names to you, uh, courtesy of the Variety and their excellent snooping. First, we have the queen and the royal family, duh. Um, next, we have two-time People's Magazine's World's Sexiest Man Alive, actor George Clooney, and his wife, Amal Clooney, who's a famous human rights lawyer. Next, we have the Spice Girls, this famous UK uh, pop icon group that most of you probably haven't heard of, but, but I do, and, and the pastors at the church do. <laughs> we have James Blunt, uh, Grammy-nominated singer, known for singing You're Beautiful. And then we have Serena Williams, one of the greatest tennis players to ever play the game. She's won 23 Grand Slams and still active. The list goes on. All rich, famous, accomplished, and well-connected people. And so that got me thinking about Jesus and how he's known in the Gospels and the Bible for feasting. Luke 7 says, Jesus, the Son of Man, came eating and drinking. And throughout the Gospels, Jesus gave parables connected to feasts or even gave feasts himself, like when he fed thousands of people only using a few loaves of bread and fish. And he got the party started at the start of his ministry when he turned water into wine as first miracle, saving a dying wedding party. And even at the very end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, the consummation of God's kingdom is described as a great wedding feast between the Lamb 
and his bride. So I have one question. If a modern day wedding costs $46 million and that only the most famous people are invited, who's invited to Jesus's feast? I mean, he's a king of kings. Who's invited to his feast? Who's on that guest list? Today, I want to answer this question for us. Uh, looking at the passage we just read um, through the, the, the perspective of the three different characters here. We're going to look first at Levi, the tax collector. Second, we'll look at the perspective from the scribes and the Pharisees. And then finally, we're going to let Jesus have the last word. So first, Levi. Our story starts with him, this Jewish man named Levi. We're told that he's a tax collector. I mean, very simple, right? Hi, who are, who are you? I'm so-and-so, and I do this job. But more than that, it tells us way more than just his profession. You see, to be somebody Jewish at the time that worked as a tax collector meant that you were hated by your own Jewish people. You wouldn't have any friends. No good Jewish parent want their sons or daughters to marry you um, because you were for the Roman government. And at the time, the Roman government would hire Jewish people to collect taxes from their very own people. But more than that, they were seen as greedy traitors who were betraying their people and getting rich off their own people's backs. In fact, they were very infamous for abusing the authority given them by the Roman government. And they often demanded more taxes, taxes than they should have, and they kept the extra for themselves. So Levi did have a good reputation in his community as a tax collector. He was hated, he was a spies in his community, and then yet here today comes a Jewish rabbi named Jesus to meet him. Jesus sees Levi at his workplace, his office, so to speak. So it tells us it's a tax booth. And he goes to Levi and he says to him, follow me. And we're not told everything in, any, everything in this conversation, but I imagine Levi must have been absolutely shocked that someone like Jesus would come to him and invite him to come follow him. Um, but we see Levi's response to Jesus. Levi gets up, he leaves everything behind, and he follows Jesus. And this was a really big deal in Levi's life. In fact, probably the, the biggest moment in his life. Commentators tell us that this wasn't like Jesus just saying, hey, I, I'm, uh, I need some help, can you come with me a second, take a break, and I'll, I'll bring you right back. Um, when Levi left everything, he truly left everything and went to follow Jesus. He never returned to that line of work ever again. He never defrauded people. He left his past life and completely committed himself to Jesus, someone who had shown grace to him. So Levi uh, meets Jesus that day, or rather Jesus walks right into Levi's life that day. He asks Levi to follow him, and what happens to him? His life is completely changed. Look at what he does in verse 29. Levi made him a great feast in his house, which by the way is a large house because we're told of a, a large company of tax collectors and, and others <laughs> were eating together. So Levi makes Jesus the, the guest of honor, the head of the table at this feast, and he throws him a huge party. He invites all his friends. Wait, 
What friends? Who are your friends if you're a tax collector? Other tax collectors. Other shameful misfits of society. But Levi invites them because he wants to throw a big party for Jesus. uh, Levi used what he had to honor Christ, his money, his big house, the only friends he had. But so now, not only is Jesus seen hanging out with Levi the tax collector in public, he's now hanging out with a bunch of tax collectors and their ignoble riffraff friends. And there's a group of people that think that is utterly repulsive and embarrassing that Jesus is hanging out um, with these people. And they are the Pharisees and the scribes. They're the religious leaders of that day. And they thought it would make you unclean to associate yourself with a hated, despised sinners like tax collectors. We're told in the next verse, they grumble, they ask Jesus, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now, now what's the big deal about eating a meal with somebody or going to a party? Well, actually a lot. Anthropologist Mary Davis once had a famous essay titled, Deciphering a Meal where she talks about in all cultures, meals represent boundary markers. They mark the boundaries between different levels of intimacy and acceptance. So who you eat with says a lot about who you are and who you're associated with, who belongs and who doesn't. I also want you to listen to this quote by New Testament scholar Scott Barchi on what table fellowship meant in that day. He says, it would be difficult to overestimate the importance of table fellowship for the cultures of the Mediterranean basin in the first century. Meal times were far more than occasions for individuals to consume nourishment. Being welcomed at a table for the purpose of eating food with another person had become a ceremony richly symbolic of friendship, intimacy, and unity. Thus, betrayal or unfaithfulness toward anyone with whom one had shared the table was viewed as particularly reprehensible. On the other hand, when persons were estranged, a meal invitation opened the way to reconciliation. Do you hear that? The Pharisee's question puts it in a different light, doesn't it? Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why are you eating with those people, Jesus? They're cheats, they're traitors, they're enemies of God. They haven't changed. We're not tight anymore. And that's not right. You shouldn't be doing that. You're a preacher. You're a rabbi. Don't you know that you're associating with sinners? You should be like us and wholly hang out and associate with people that are holy like us. See, the Pharisees thought that Jesus should only be eating with people holy, proper, and righteous like them. They thought the last group of people in the world that Jesus should be hanging out with and associating with would be people like the tax collectors. And yet, they could not be further from the truth. They didn't know Jesus at all. They didn't know who he is. They didn't know why he came. They didn't know his mission. They didn't know his heart. And we get that in the very next verse when Jesus responds. He says this, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, 
but sinners to repentance. Jesus is in a way effectively saying, I'm not who you think I am, and you don't even know who you are. I am a physician who has come to heal the sick. I came to save sinners, not for those who are already righteous. I came to graciously call sinners to repentance because there's a better way to leave your life of futility without me and follow me. And that's what he did for Levi when he called him to leave his tax collecting job and to follow him. Levi, by the way, I should tell you, is also known as Matthew the Apostle. If you look at him up in the other Gospels, he's one of the very 12 disciples of Jesus. But before that, before he met Jesus, Levi was morally sick, spiritually sick, estranged from God and even his own community. And Jesus welcomes him into his. He welcomes Levi to his feast as one of his students into his own family. And that's why Jesus goes to him and calls him to follow him. That is why Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners, because as a son of God, these sinners can't make him unclean, but Jesus can make them clean. They can't make Jesus sick, but Jesus can heal them. And he shows his grace to Levi. Come, Levi, follow me. And you see how grace changed his life. He left his sinful life and he followed Jesus. Unfortunately, the Pharisees didn't get this and it kept them from Jesus because they thought that they were well, they were righteous when they weren't. And they even ended up, to plot, ended up plotting to kill Jesus. They didn't think they needed the kind of savior that Jesus is. But Jesus eats with them too. You see this in Luke 7, 11 and 14. Like Tim Keller says, Jesus isn't self-righteous about self-righteousness. But as long as the Pharisees held on to their spiritual pride, they couldn't accept the invitation uh, to Christ's feast. So, so again, I ask this question, who's invited? Who is this feast for? Jesus came, he came for sinners. He came for the poor, the sick, the weak, the despised and the hated, the rejected, the outcast, the social pariah, the misunderstood, the loner, the unlovable, the marginalized, to welcome the men. It is for tax collectors like Levi. It's for people like us. And if you just go two more chapters, you see that it is for prostitutes. Or dare I say, it's for racists. It's for people that vote for that guy. Uh, it's for those that cause social unrest. It's for those who abort their children. It's for the broken and the bruised. It's for the sick and the poor, the orphan and the widow. It's for the unwell. It's for the not right, the not okay, the messed up. It's for the ashamed and the guilty. It is for you and it is for me. Regardless, Jesus welcomes them and welcomes us and does so freely. And only he can do that because he himself knows what it means to be someone well and without sin and yet for our sake made to become sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For our salvation, 
our freedom, our healing. Jesus was willing to be associated with us, to be treated as an outcast, to be mocked, rejected, despised, mistreated, hated, and ultimately killed to pay for our sins. And that was a price greater than millions of dollars so that he can welcome us to the most grandest, the grandest of feasts. And Jesus was raised. He was raised from the dead and he calls and he offers himself to all who are sick, all who are not righteous and in need of Christ. So do you know who you are? Do you know who Jesus is? He might be calling you today. Would you come and follow him? Maybe you're focused on something completely different in your life right now. You're off to a proverbially different party, but Jesus calls you to leave that life and to come and to follow him. And the feast and the life that he has prepared for you. To close, I have two quick points of application and then we're done. If we follow this Jesus, if we, if we know this Jesus who came for sinners, for the sick, then we as his people should be the most hospitable and welcoming of all people. Pastor Tim Keller says that we all naturally want to be with people who are like us, who like us, and those that we like. We want to be with those who they like us, and we like them, and they're, they're like us, they're similar, we're relatable. But the gospel changes all of that. We now welcome others, yeah, those, whoever you think, in your mind, in this day, the most hated, worst sinner possible. We welcome them because Jesus first welcomed us, and he made us his own friends. If you're new to Exilic, I hope that you would stick around because that's who we are. And it doesn't even make sense that we're a group of people that are together except for the fact that Jesus brought us together by his love. And second, just as I spoke about welcoming others, what about actually going to such people? Not just waiting for them to come to your turf, but going to them. So who are those in your life that don't belong? They're ignored, they're misunderstood, they're despised, and yet God puts them right before your very eyes because he wants you to go to them and welcome them in. And I pray that the Spirit would teach us what this will look like in, in different ways in our individual lives. For Levi, Jesus turned him from his greed, and then he used what he had to, had to honor Christ. What has God given you? The relationships, the communities, your education, your gifts, your skills, your talents, everything you have to love and welcome others on your campus in this city or wherever he has you right now. Would you pray, Jesus, I want to follow you. Show me what it means to follow you. Let's pray for that right now. Father, we thank you for Jesus who welcomed us when we were en your enemies, people who never deserved your love, outside of the covenant and strangers and aliens, foreigners, 
and you welcomed us in. Thank you, Lord, for your indescribable love. Lord, would you help us to show others that kind of love, hospitality, and welcome? Help us to even go to them with the love that you have given us, Lord. Would you do that, do that here in exilic church that we might be socially and physically apart right now? You have a scatter right now to serve your purposes, to show others this kind of welcoming love. We thank you, Lord, that you love us this way. Only you can love us this way. The greatest price given by your, your son so that we can be welcomed to the greatest life and grandest feast of all. We thank you, Lord. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.